We're turning to Genesis 12, Genesis 12, 1 through 9, and our sermon is entitled, Our Worship. Um, Let me read to you Genesis 12, 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the side of Shechem to the oak of Moray. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And then there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev, the word of the Lord. Now, as we think about this uh, passage of Scripture, there's one thing as... as, uh, I don't know, years and years of reading this, these passages and then reading other books about worship. One day I sat down and I found myself writing this sermon over at Black Rock Coffee Cafe Bar, whatever. And um, the question that I ask myself is, what are we doing when we worship? Uh, what are we doing when we go through this liturgy? You have it in your hand. Maybe it's right beside you in your chair. And when we say the word liturgy, we mean basically the order of the service in which we go through every Sunday. Um, It's right there. Why do we do what we do? Is there a rhyme? Is there a reason to what we do? And as we approach the one true and living God, there is is a right manner to approach Him. Uh, When we worship, we take the Bible. We take the Old Testament and all the folks in the Old Testament as they're looking to the Savior who is to come. We look at how they worship God and then we go to the New Testament and we look back towards the Savior who's come and we look and see how those people of God worshiped God. And what we find is something very consistent. We find a people worshiping God very consistently in the same way. They worship God with a certain kind of approach. Now, we could begin, if you will, with looking at the children of Israel as they are redeemed out of Egypt. And I remember one of the things as I studied this years and years ago, when God said He was going to take His people out of Egypt, He said, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to teach my people who I am, and I'm going to teach the Egyptians who I am. But one of the things He wants to do about His people is He wants to bring them out of Egypt and He wants to make them a worshiping people. They would be brought to Mount Sinai and that's where they would begin to worship Him. 
And God gave them commandments. They were to worship God and they were to worship God alone. Commandment number one. They were to worship God without any graven images. They were to reverence God's name. And using the children's catechism, His name is to be reverenced. His word is to be reverenced. His works are to be reverenced. And then finally, they were to worship the Lord on His day. The Lord was also going to travel with His people. There was going to be a temporary tabernacle that was going to be with his people. And in I know that I've recently read Exodus chapter 25 through 40. And um, if you read that, you'll know that it's one of the probably more difficult parts of the Bible to read. Because it's got all the things that go with putting that temporary tabernacle that would travel through the wilderness uh, together. There's hooks and there's furniture and there's all the different pieces and parts But there's something very powerful about Exodus 25 through 40 that you need to always remember, even though it's hard to to sludge through all of that. And it's this. God's going to be with His people. God is going to be with His people, dwelling among His people. And what is very interesting is that Leviticus comes after this tent is built and it will be traveling with the people of God. Leviticus comes next and Leviticus teaches us the way to approach God. How are the people to approach God? Well, they approach God with a sacrifice. They approach God with a sacrifice, offering that sacrifice without spot or blemish through a priest. Are you hearing the New Testament yet? So as we approach the one true and living God today, you and I, like those people in the Old Testament, we come with Jesus in our arms. We do not come with a actual lamb in our arms. We come with the actual substance of which those lambs pointed. We come with Jesus in our arms. He is the sacrifice who saves us from our sins. And he just also happens to be the priest who has offered himself up as our final sacrifice. And so today, as we worship in the morning and as we worship in the evening, you and I, I mean, I I know this may sound a little silly, but you and I basically... Um, I think Calvin put it this way, which this, this lamb is never far from our thoughts. This, this, this holding of this lamb in our hands, even though we don't sit in our chairs like this, or we don't sit in our chairs holding babies and don't... I, I don't have my, my baby holding muscles anymore. I held on to one of these babies over here for about 10 minutes and I just ran out of gas. And, um, but we, we are. We're always holding Jesus in our arms by the arms of faith as we worship God, He's not very far from our thoughts ever. And so the elements of our liturgy we can find, though, as we look at this Genesis chapter 12. Now, I'm starting in chapter 12. I'm going to run to other chapters. But we can find elements, the elements, almost all of them, from the life of Abraham. And where we don't find one or two, we will supply them in this sermon. We will supply them and add those uh, that we use in our morning worship. But almost all are found in the Abraham materials. The first element of our worship is the salutation. So we come and and Mr. Larson, I'm going to miss Mr. Larson, um, not leading us in the the uh, prayer that enters as we enter into the sanctuary. I'm going to miss Mr. Larson not being up here for the doxology and uh, his smile. I'm going to miss these things. But these are the things we do. And then the minister comes up, and I always like to say our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, to remind us that we need God's help. 
And then the Lord greets us with these words, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that is not in the Abraham materials, but that is found all throughout the New Testament. When every apostle speaks to a church, that's how the apostle greets the churches of Jesus Christ. And that's how we come and worship in our church in the morning and in the evening. We hear those words. Jesus greets us. He welcomes us to worship. And first, he begins with grace. It's by sovereign grace that you're brought into the kingdom. And then as a result of grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace in our hearts with God. We have peace in our own hearts. We have peace with our wives. We have peace in our families. And this is how things begin to work out even in our worship. So we start with the salutation and we move to the next element, which is the call to worship. Now in Genesis 11, if you read the last part of Genesis 11, you're going to find that God calls Abraham, Abram, out of Ur of the Chaldees and he leaves and he goes to Haran and later on he gets up and he leaves and he goes all the way in to the land of promise. He calls him to leave a grand city. He calls him to leave his idols. He calls him to leave his connections. That's hard to do sometimes. Leave your connections. Leave your family. Leave your friends. Leave the place you're used to. And God promises him five things. He promises him land. And he promises to make him a great nation. He promises protection. He promises to make his name great. He promises to make him a blessing to all the families on the earth. So God comes to him. Here's the father, the father of the faith. Every person who believes in Jesus Christ, here is the first guy. Here's the first one. And he's called to, to come out of, from among them and worship God alone. And that's what we see in the Old Testament. That's what we see in the New Testament. Jesus says to each one of us, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So we see Abraham doing this. And every time we come and we worship, we come to worship God because he calls us first. He loves you first. You love him second. He calls you to worship him and him alone. If Abram did not receive this call, he would never have moved. We come and we worship no other gods. We come and we're reverent. We come and we worship in His name alone and on His day. And we do it even if it causes us a lack of peace with everyone we hold dear. We would rather be... What, what's that statement? I would rather be on the right side of God, to put it in terms today, than on the right side of history. With me? I would rather be at peace with God than be at peace with all the world that's going the wrong direction. And so you and I, we pull apart from our normal recreations, our normal routines, and we give ourselves to God in worship. Now that brings us to the third uh, element of worship, which is prayer and praise, our responses. So Abram leaves. He goes into the land of promise. And by the way, while he's in the land of promise, he owns not even a piece of it yet. Now, we know that later on he buys a little piece to, to bury his, his uh, dead. 
So there he is sojourning and he's pitching tents. Did you when we read the passage? He pitches a tent, he builds an altar, he calls on the name of the Lord. He pitches a tent, he builds an altar, and he calls on the name of the Lord, and he does it in like five different places. If you read Genesis twelve. He begins to worship. This is the pattern. And when he worships, God reveals himself to Abraham. He reveals himself as Elohim, Yahweh. El El Yon, or God Most High. El Shaddai. We sing that song, number 42, M42. El Shaddai, everybody loves that, right? Growing up. That's the, that's the young person's hymn of, the, of, of, of their lives. And uh, El Shaddai, God Almighty. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. And so the whole time he's worshiping, God is, is explaining himself to Abraham. And when you and I, we come to worship, we call on the name of the Lord in the same way. And even though we do not build, uh, we do not pitch a tent, well, maybe we do, <laughs> right? Maybe we do. I think we do pitch a tent. But we have a place where we worship and we have Jesus in our thoughts, holding Him in our arms. We're confessing Him as our Lord and our Savior. We believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead. And just as God revealed himself through various names to Abraham, God has revealed himself to us in one very, very important name. The name before whom every knee will bow. The name before whom every tongue will confess. Jesus Christ is the Lord. That's the name. And just as God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, God calls you and you and myself out of our sins, out of our darkness, and into his light. We call God, Father, through faith in Jesus Christ. And now, this is worth mentioning as we move along. And this is just a way of saying we, we believe in what we call a regulative principle. We believe the Bible prescribes for us how we worship. Let me put it in these terms. We believe that we are going to worship exactly as the Holy Spirit pins it out in the Scriptures. I like to say it that way. Every element that's in our worship, it ought to be found pinned by God's Holy Spirit, not what we desire, not what we think is good, but what the Holy Spirit prescribes and writes down for us that is good. That is what we delight in. We delight in what God wants us to delight in. And this worship we have is it's dialogical. It's covenantal. It's back and forth. It's God greeting us and calling us and us responding to Him. It's God calling us and us praying to Him and singing to Him. This is what is going on as we worship God. We call on the name of the Lord after he first calls on us. And that brings us to number four. Element number four, as we go through, we confess our sins. And we all know 1 John 1, 9. I think everybody in here can quote 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins. But if you need help and you want some help, other passages, go to Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, and there are others to use. But what prompts us to confess our sin? Why is it, have you ever thought about why we read that scriptural exhortation? Well, we read the scriptural exhortation so that we can see what the law of God says and the Holy Spirit takes the law of God and convicts us of our sin. And then when we see our sin, what do we do with it? We confess our sins. Homologeo there in 1 John 1, 9 says we confess our sins. That means we agree with God against ourselves. We call sin what he calls Sin. And in the narrative here, in Abraham narrative, we see that he is going through the land of Canaan. 
the land of promise, pitching tents and offering worship. And he's calling on the name of the Lord. And then he comes to the Negev. And what I didn't do is I didn't read the next part. The next part, the great temptation overtakes him. He's been called to to be in the land of Canaan. But the temptation is there's a famine in the land. What do you do when there's a famine in the land of Canaan? This is the land God's called you to. this, This would be another time for another sermon. But think about it. How many times when God has moved you into a particular place, everything goes south? Am I really supposed to be here? Do I not need to go down to Egypt where it's green? Do I not need to go down where the Nile River is and where all the wonderful things are growing and it's wonderful? Well, I believe, I submit to you, I believe that he should have stayed in the land of Canaan where God said he he was to go. I think God would have provided for him, but he didn't wait on God. He went south. And this is a faith failure. Why? Why is it a faith failure? Well, when he gets there, he lies. I can't go into all the things he did. But he lied about his wife being his sister. And then he almost loses his wife to Pharaoh. And then after Pharaoh realizes that Sarai is his wife, Abram's wife, he boots him out of Egypt. He rebukes him. He sends him packing. And so now what we find Abram doing after he's rebuked by Pharaoh, God uses Pharaoh to rebuke Abraham. What a great thing. Have you ever been rebuked by a lost person? So Abram goes up to the last place he obeyed. (laughs) He goes back to the Negev. He goes back to the last place where he called on the name of the Lord and then he went the wrong direction. He's retracing his steps. And that's what we call confessing your sin and repenting of your sin. That's what we do in our worship. We confess our sins. We backtrack. We retrace our, our, our steps back to the places of obedience. And that is what we call repentance. Confessing. Confessing our sins. And retracing our tracks back to the Lord. The Bible tells us after that. What do we hear God say to us? After we confess our sins and repent of our sins. What do we hear in our worship service? Well, we hear an assurance of pardon. The law speaks to us. We're convicted of our sins. We confess our sins. We retrace our steps back to the Lord. And then we hear the Lord say, Your sins are forgiven. My son, Mark chapter 2. My son, your sins are forgiven. Well, that's not just for the man on the pallet. That's for the people who confess their sins. Uh, You hear him say, Your sins are taken away, buried in the deepest sea, separated from you as far as the east is from the west, remembered against you no more. If you go and read Jonah 2, it's hard for me not to think about Jonah. Jonah's in the fish. Jonah can't hardly breathe. The weeds are wrapping around his neck. What's he do? He calls on the name of the Lord. And then at the end, when he's vomited back up on the beach, he says salvation is from The Lord, this promise of forgiveness is given to each and every one of us who truly repents of our sins. And so in passing, what has already happened here? And we could add this at the end of the next point as well. What has happened here at this point in the order of service? Well, let me submit to you what has happened here is you just heard the gospel. Before you get to the sermon, you've just heard the gospel. 
You've heard the law read. You see your sins. You see your need of Jesus Christ, the Lamb, to wash you of your sins. You confess your sins. You turn from your sins. And you receive forgiveness of your sins. Before you get to the sermon, you hear the gospel in the elements themselves. And so that brings us, and I could add that point here at this as well, but we see the confession of our faith. Another fragment of our worship is found in this Abraham material. And every time we see this through the, through the New Testament, there's places where you can find people confessing their faith in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Well, we use the Apostles' Creed, and we use the Nicene Creed, and I've been using the Athanasian Creed, which is a little bit long for, for a worship service. Some people use it. But it explains to us what we believe. We could look in our uh, hymnal. We could look at the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's here. It's kind of long. It'd be a little bit long. But it does tell us what we believe. And we just heard today some folks stand up. And instead of confessing our faith using a creed, we heard people confess their faith in front of us. So we didn't lose that element today. We actually participated in it. Jesus said, If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. In Genesis 15, God comes to Abraham and he tells him not to fear. And we ask ourselves, you know, why would Abraham fear? Well, he's in a land, a huge land. He's sojourning by himself. And you find out he's got quite a few servants. But he's in a land where there's lots of war parties. And he has reason to fear. These folks are always measuring their power up against other bands of people. They're kings in the land. And they're always measuring their power uh, up against others. So he has reason to fear. Will God protect him? And the Lord says that he will protect him. The Lord tells him that he will give him an heir from his own loins. That there will be descendants from his body like the stars in the heavens. In Genesis 15, 6, there's that verse that everybody in here knows. It's very popular. It's a very famous verse. And he believed. Abram believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And at this point, at this point, Abraham's already believed. But we hear this verse and it says he believed God. The word believe there means yes. It means truly. It means I believe what you are telling me. And it's reckoned to him as righteousness. And every time you and I hear the minister say, Church of the living God, what do you believe? And you go, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. Every time you say that, you're saying yes, just like he did. Just with the whole church of all the ages, this is what we do. This is what we do. We're doing it not alone. We're doing it with the church of all ages. And you and I, we stand up and we say, especially yes to Jesus Christ, the final seed of Abraham, who came to pass through, if you read that passage there in Genesis 15, he came to pass through the fiery judgment for our salvation. Well, that brings us to element number six, the giving of tithes and offerings. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, What do you have that you did not at first receive? You and I, we have uh, everything that we have first given to us. It's always first given to us. Every breath, all our life, and even our power to make wealth. 
And we find this element of giving in the life of Abraham. In Genesis 14, his nephew Lot, remember his nephew Lot? He makes a decision to go towards Sodom. And then we find him living in Sodom. Not a good decision. We can talk about that later. But there he is living in Sodom. And then there's four kings. Man, if you go read Genesis 14, you can really get lost. <laughs> but there's four kings who go against five kings. And one of those kings is a king of Sodom where Lot is living. And these four kings overpower these five kings and take Lot and all his persons and all his possessions captive. And when, when Abraham finds out he gets 314 of his trained men, he goes and fights against those four kings, sets Lot, sets Lot free. All his possessions and all his persons are brought back. Abraham comes out of the dark, if you will, out of this sojourning in oblivion, if you will, and he's a hero. And Melchizedek visits him, the priest of Salem, the priest of God Most High, blesses Abraham, and Abraham gives, gives to him a tenth of all that he has. He tithes. He worships and he gives. In 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul tells us to collect for the saints. On the first day of the week, on the Lord's day, we are to put aside and save as we may prosper for the saints. So we see covenant relations. God is the one who gives to us our, our breath. God is the one who gives to us our life. God is the one who gives us the power, Deuteronomy 8, the power to go out and make wealth. Don't forget that. Don't think you did it on your own. You got that power from Him. And when we tithe, when we give, it's to be, even as we eat and drink these little cups, from the, you know little pieces of bread from these little cups, it, it's a token as we give our money to the Lord, it's a token of giving ourselves every Sunday we give. Every time we give, we're giving just a token as a, as a pointer of I'm giving all that I am to the Lord. Well, that brings us to number seven. We're going back and forth, and this is prayer. The Lord calls us to worship and we respond through prayer and praise. And the law of God convicts us of our sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin using the law. We confess our sins. We turn and we retrace our steps. We find that pardon and we confess our faith. And then we understand from the writer of Hebrews that we have a great high priest and we can approach him with boldness. So with our sins confessed and our faith confessed, we enter into prayer for the covenant community. I sat down with Brian the other day and he said, what do I pray when I pray the, the prayer for the covenant community? And I told him, "Here, these are the things, listen, these are the things the church has been praying for 500 years. I said, just, just, don't take my word for it. Let's go look at what Luther and Calvin and the church has done over the past so many hundreds of years. They pray for the authorities over us. We pray for the magistrates and the rulers over us. We pray for the souls of those who need Jesus Christ. We pray for the preaching of the word to, to make disciples. God, help us to make disciples. Help us to mark them with water. Help us to teach them. Help us to teach them that Jesus is with them when they come to know him always. Lord, we plead for the sanctification of the, the members of the church. We are to plead for God to give grace and strength to those who are physically weak, spiritually weak, and who are grieving. And then we offer up a prayer 
of illumination, asking God to open up our eyes as we read and study the Word. Well, that brings us to number eight, which is the preaching of the Word. Now, Abraham didn't have any sermons. Who spoke to Abraham? God spoke directly to Abraham. That was his preaching. How do we get the Word? Well, we have... Uh, Through the Old Testament, we have prophets that spoke to the people of God. And then Jesus is the final prophet who spoke the final words of God. And then he spoke and taught through his disciples who are now the apostles, who laid down the final words of God in the Gospels and in the New Testament writings. And so once they passed off the scene, we have the final word of God in our hands. And we have ordinary men who preach an extraordinary word. We have ordinary men who preach an authoritative and sufficient and necessary word, a clear word. And the pastor teacher is to equip the, the uh, members of the congregation to be mature and with a view to ministering to others. Now, in the days of the Reformation, one of the things I... I like to think about, sometimes I think about Terry Johnson's pulpit in Savannah, uh, the Independent Presbyterian Church in Savannah. You can go look at some pictures of it. It's the pulpit in the sky. And there's a point being made. The Bible is open on the pulpit in the sky like this. It's over everything. And it's telling us something. It's telling us that the Bible is over everybody. The Bible is over the church. And the Bible is also what is to be preached And it even includes, as we preach, it includes how we worship God. As the Word of God is preached, we hear that we are to know teaching or doctrine. We're to be reproved, corrected, and we're to be trained in righteousness. And then that brings us to number nine. Now, we're going to talk about the benediction in a minute. We're going to have the benediction. Let me just go straight to the benediction right now for just a second. What's the benediction? The benediction is the tenth thing I've written in my outline. And it's a pronouncement of God's good words to His people. Doxologies are when you and I break out in praise. But benedictions are God's good words that come to His people as we walk away from worship. But I want to go to number nine right now, which is the sacraments, or the sacraments. Why do we have a person, why do we have a man who baptizes people, and why do we have a man service little pieces of bread And little cups of wine. Well we do this because the first sacrament was served. Or given to Abraham. In Genesis 17. When baptism replaces circumcision. And the adult who believes. In the Lord Jesus Christ. In the promises given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. They are to be marked with water. The adult stands up and he's baptized by the minister. And what the adult is saying is this water that's being poured on top of me, what's happening to me physically, they're saying this has already happened to me spiritually and internally. And then that adult is to place that water, have that water placed on his children and teach them like Father Abraham, teach his children that this water preaches salvation through faith in this, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's our first sacrament. It starts with circumcision, even in Genesis 17. And then we see the Lord's Supper is instituted on the night Jesus was betrayed, which is the Passover meal. The new Passover in the New Testament is the Lord's Supper. The first sacrament is different than the Lord's Supper. The first sacrament brings a child or brings a person into the body of Christ. Now, it's a a picture. It preaches a truth. 
It doesn't save them, but it brings them into the body of Christ. But the second sacrament, the Lord's Supper, it has to be partaken of by those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, those who have professed uh, credibly their faith in Christ. It's for those who can examine themselves. It's for those who can discern the Lord's body. And until a child can do that, they sit and they observe. And you're going to hear me from time to time say, young people, if you haven't sat down to eat and to drink with Jesus at this table, you still have unfinished business. So that's what we would be saying. And in this sacrament, as we move to the Lord's Supper tonight, Jesus says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he says, this cup is the new covenant, my blood, which is shed for you. And he tells us to take this bread and eat it. And he tells us to take the cup and to drink it. He tells us that this he's giving himself to us. I mentioned to the men in our meeting a few weeks ago, this is not just about commemoration or remembering Jesus' body and blood. And this is not just about confessing this truth. But this is about communing with Jesus Christ personally. Spiritually, He gives Himself to us. And spiritually, we are to give ourselves to Him. We don't do this one time as in baptism. But we do this on a, often. We do it regularly. And as we eat and drink, I, I, we, we look for ways to talk about this. But think about the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you and I are connected in union with the vine, all the sap, like I think if I remember correctly, it's the xylem and the phloem. <laughs> um, the sap is flowing from the vine into the branches. And so this energy provided from the vine to us, the branches, this is what's happening when we eat and when we drink. Jesus is nourishing us with his grace that happens when we eat with faith in our hearts. So as we come to the Lord's Supper, let me ask you, are you a worshiper of the one true and living God? Have you been called? And are you in return calling on the name of the Lord? Do you hear the word of God read and do you confess your sins and repent of your sins? And do you find yourself enjoying the assurance of pardon? Do you find yourself confessing your faith? I believe in God Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, His Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you love to confess that? Are you able to hear the Word of God? Do you prepare to hear it? Are you receiving it with faith and love? Are you hiding it in your heart and seeking to practice it in your life? As we examine ourselves, uh, we should find, first of all, am I in Christ? Am I a person who's made a confession of faith in front of the congregation? And I'm looking at everybody here, and I know everybody here. So I'm not going to do the normal thing. I'm going to say all of you, I see all of you except two people who are probably welcome to take the table. But those little persons, they're growing. They're, gonna, they're watching every one of us do it. So tonight... Let's come and let's eat and let's drink to the glory of God and for the good of our souls. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity 
who eat and drink of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can remember it, what he did on the cross for us. We thank you that we confess it. We believe it in our hearts that Jesus Christ died on the cross and was raised from the dead. We believe it. We confess it. Lord, we want to commune with this Lord Jesus Christ who offers himself to us right now. We thank you for the picture of the vine and the branches. We thank you for the branches that are sitting around us and all of us are connected to Jesus. We pray, Father, that you will feed us with the sap of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts as we eat and drink. We pray for nourishment. We pray for encouragement. We pray that you will help us in the days ahead as we eat and drink. We'll praise you for it. We ask that you set these elements apart from their common and sacred use. We pray for you to be with us in a special way now. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.